The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I didn't sleep very well last night. I was up at least six times, wandering around the house, crying aloud to the Lord, 
in deep prayer, tears. This morning, I got ready to to leave the prayer closet and go get some lunch before I did this broadcast. I arrived at the Panera, where I often will go for a sandwich and half a bowl of soup. When I walked in the front door, the manager was there to greet me. He gave me a big hug. He said, Pastor, go sit down over at that table. I have your lunch coming. I was amazed. I said, Brother, you have to just go sit down. I have it coming. Thank you. A few minutes later, a beautiful sandwich and huge bowl of soup showed up at my table. After I ate, I went to find him. He said, Pastor, when I saw you get out of your car, I saw the way you were walking, and I saw the expression on your face, and I said, that only comes from heart sadness. He needs some food. I thanked him. He said, I love you, brother. Go preach the gospel. I did need that gift of food and love and care this morning. My heart is exceedingly heavy for the body of Christ, and I was praying through the hours of the night for you who listen to this broadcast. There's going to have to be a significant major change in Washington, D.C. if the judgments of God are not to be poured out in great wrath. That's heavy on my heart. As I prepared the message that I'm going to share with you today, I went back to the story I've been sharing, the woman at the well. That story is so piercing to my heart because Jesus is saying to her, I will, if you ask me, I'll give you that living water and it will spring up inside of you in your belly and it will be streams of living water will flow from you. And she said, please give me that water that I won't have to keep coming here and, and getting water. And Jesus said, first call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, knowing her heart, said, no, you, you've spoken correctly. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. In other words, you are a sinner. And of course, you know the rest of it. The disciples came back with food for Jesus and they tried to offer it, have him eat. But he said, I'm here to do the will of my father. And what was the will of his father? That the Samaritans would come and listen to him and repent of their sins. That was the cry of his heart. 
that there would be a great harvest among the Samaritans. He loved them. He said, you don't know what you worship. You don't know, you don't know the truth. Salvation came by way of the Jews, and you don't know that. But the day is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Well, what is truth? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but it it needs a, a little more definition. Truth is what is always correct. It's it's a measure, it's a standard that that everything must be measured against. It is always the same. And of course, today, the modern thought is we live in a post-truth era. At first, it was a post-Christian era, meaning the Christian message no longer has value for us. We don't believe those values anymore, as evidenced by the abortion and by the rise of the Democrat Party which has totally left the Judeo-Christian values and has adopted a Bernie Sanders. I mean, to, to think that he would win the state of California tells you how desperately evil our day has become. We're in trouble. America's in trouble. And of course, truth means it's always truth. It's a, an infinite measure. It's not finite. Culture is, is finite. It changes and shifts and style changes and shifts first it's large lapels on men's suits and then it's narrow lapels it's wide ties and then it's narrow ties keeps changing culture shifts and changes Niebuhr's book Christ and Culture was very helpful to me in understanding the philosophic basis for for Christ against culture and he is against culture because culture is filled with the works of the flesh and the devil. And he wants to transform that culture into something dramatically different. He's not pleased with the American culture in any respect or the Chinese culture. He's not pleased with, with the black culture or the white culture. We have to move beyond culture. It's not about being black or white or Asian or, or Indian. It's about Jesus. Now, let me get right to the point. I want to talk to you about the key to true revival. I am a holiness preacher. I believe in revival. I believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of Almighty God to be exercised in our culture. And Charles Finney was probably one of the greatest evangelists since the Apostle Paul. 
He was a revivalist holiness preacher. And I want to, I want to read just a brief portion of his book, Holy Spirit Revivals, to, to begin to get at this very painful, difficult point that I've been trying to preach about all this week. I'm not trying to be offensive or contrarian. I'm trying to address the great sin I see among us that I've been raised in, that I have fought against from early as a little boy. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what was right. I do today. I'm learning it. I want true revival in America. But it's not going to be about shaking and signs and wonders. It's going to be about something totally different that will bring that revival. On page 166 of the book Holy Spirit Revivals, he recounts his experience with a a pastor, Patterson, a very large church, influential church. And Finney had been preaching very clearly about sin and about the need to get right with God, to lay your life down, to be crucified with Christ. And they are having a large meeting of what they call inquirers. That is, people who have some interest in going deeper with the Lord. He writes, Before I knew it, Pastor Patterson arose in a very excited manner, said, My friends, you have turned your face Zionward, and now I exhort you to press forward. He went on, in an exhortation for a few moments in which he distinctly made the impression that they were now on the right way and that they had only to press forward, to press forward as they were doing then in order to be saved. His remarks pained me exceedingly, for they seemed to tend to self-righteousness, to make the impression that they were all doing very well and that if they continued to do their duty as they were doing it now, they would all be saved. Now, this was not my view of their condition at all, and I felt perplexed as to how I should counteract it. At the close of the meeting, when I summed up the results of our conversations and made an address to them, I alluded to what Mr. Patterson had said. I remarked that they must not misunderstand what he had said, that what he had said was true of those who had really turned to God and set their faces toward heaven by giving their hearts completely to God. But they must not think of applying this to themselves if they were convicted but had not yet repented, believed, and given their hearts to God. For if their faces were not turned Zionward, then they were really turning their backs on Jesus 
if they were still resisting the Holy Spirit, still on the way to hell, and still without submission and repentance and faith, then they were only increasing their condemnation. The pastor listened with greatest attention. I then called upon all the people to kneel down and to commit themselves forever to the Lord renouncing all their sins and giving themselves up to the bestowal of sovereign goodness with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Mr. Finney did was right on. Let me try to explain. We have a lie in our culture that says that all you have to do is say, I believe in Jesus, and I accept him as my Savior. Say a little sinner's prayer, and I'm on my way to heaven. How do we counteract that untruth, that believing that I am saved when I am not? This pastor that I've just shared with you told his congregation, look, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going forward. You're on the right path. No, many of them were not on the right path because they were still resisting the Holy Spirit or they still believed the Presbyterian lie that they didn't have to repent because they only repented once and Christ finished the work at the cross so all of their past, present, and future sins were forgiven. And to believe that is to believe a lie. And it's responsible for the great wreck of America today because the pulpits have not burned with loud cries and calls for God's people to repent and give themselves utterly and completely over to Jesus and be transformed into his likeness. And so we come to a passage of scripture and I'm going to I want to illustrate this for you please and please listen to the whole message don't turn it off this is this is life and death this is vital this is the great divide that must happen in the body of Christ if we are to avoid the death penalty when we face the judgment bar of God Romans, the fifth chapter. I'm going to read from you for you from the New International Version. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Well, Let's understand what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the modern preaching is that you are justified by faith when you accept Jesus as your Savior. And that then you are justified. And it's not your righteousness it's Jesus' righteousness. It's imputed to you, and you're on your way to heaven. You're good to go. 
so you can continue walking in wickedness, in sin, in adultery, in fornication. You can continue walking in lying and cheating and stealing. You can continue walking in pride and arrogance and bitterness and anger, and you're good to go. And to believe that is a total mistranslation of this passage of Scripture. What do the words actually mean? The word for justified is dikasune. In the Old Testament, it meant to cover over sins, to declare righteous. And of course, those sins were not forgiven until Jesus died on Calvary. But after Jesus died on Calvary, it no longer means to cover over. In the New Covenant, it means to make righteous. To make righteous. The word justified in the Old English meant literally to make righteous. But dikasune very clearly means to make righteous in the New Covenant. Now, let's look at this passage with that understanding. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through faith... We have peace with God. Total different meaning. In one, I continue as I am in my wickedness and my sin, and I'm good to go. You know that can't be true. Just plain logic tells you it's impossible for you to go to heaven and still be walking in your wickedness. And so they do a little twist on it. They say, well, when you die, you're made righteous. No, you're not made righteous when you die. Your first day in heaven and your last day on earth, you're going to be the same identical person except you'll have a new body. But your character will be the same. You only take your character to heaven. So, if, if you mean by justified... Christ has imputed his grace to me, and now I can continue walking in sin, and I can't lose my salvation, as is taught in the mainstream Christian media in America. Or if you understand that justified means to be made righteous, and you understand that that you can be made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ as a free gift to you, not something you work on, not something you struggle with, but it is a matter of you can receive it as a free gift, righteousness, real righteousness in your life. And, and what I'm crying out for is that you would recognize that you can break through by the power of the Spirit of God, by the power of the blood of Jesus, you can break through into an arena where you walk clean with Jesus, where you have a clean conscience, where the bondage of drugs, the bondage of alcohol, the bondage of, of illicit sex, the bondage of bitterness, the bondage of, of rage and anger, those things no longer have any power over you. You are set free. You are made righteous in reality. That's the gift of Jesus dying on Calvary. In the story that I've shared with you of this Samaritan woman, 
she says, would you give me some of that water so I don't have to keep coming back here to the well? And Jesus says, go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. No, you've had five and you're shacked up with a man now that's not your husband. In other words, the key to revival is to acknowledge to Jesus my five husbands and the man I'm shacked up with to begin to deal honestly with my sin. Until you're willing to do that, you have no chance of heaven. I don't care if you attend church four or five times a week. You give your tithes and offerings. You're very active in all the ministries of the church. But if in your heart you are still walking in wickedness, fornication, drugs, television violence, violence in the movies, the world and the flesh and the devil, if you're still involved in that stuff, you can't be saved until you come to Jesus with your five husbands that you've left and the man you're shacked up with. Now, chapter 8, the book of Romans, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Let's look at that word now. It means at a set time. Therefore, there is now, right now. Well, what has happened to create that now? If I send a birthday gift wrapped beautifully to my grandson and my daughter takes that gift and she puts it on the hutch and he comes every day and he looks longingly at that gift and he he wants to unwrap it and he says, can I have my gift today, mama? No. Grandpa said, not until your birthday. Well, what do you think it is, Mama? Well, I don't know. Well, why can't I open it? Well, because now is not the time. And finally his birthday comes. And he comes rushing in after school. And he says, Now, Mama, may I open my birthday gift? Yes, son. Now you can open it. And eagerly he opens the gift. This passage is saying there is a now involved in having no condemnation. What does condemnation mean? It means judgment. It means death. You are condemned by your sin to die. The court has passed the judgment. And all men who are born into the earth are under the death penalty you were born into this earth to die and you will die 
if you don't have a now in your life. You must have the now so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does it take to be in Christ Jesus? It takes that now. With the woman at the well, Jesus gave her a now. Go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Oh, and and you're right. You don't have a husband. You're you're living with a man you're not married to. And you've had five husbands. The other women in the village wouldn't even go to get water with her. She was an outcast. She had to have a now before she could get that water. And guess what? She didn't get the water yet. I pray that she did after Jesus was crucified and rose. I pray that Samaritan woman and the man she was living with found the now so that there was no condemnation against them. You must find that now. That now is the key to true revival. Revival can happen at any moment in your life. Now, we usually think of revival as being something that happens to the church and then to the community, and the presence of God comes down, and sinners face that now moment when they have to confess their sins and get right with God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law has decreed has decreed sin and death for every living human being. Revival comes when we understand the now, and we begin to act in that. And the reason I didn't sleep well last night, and the reason I'm having a hard time even sharing this message with you, is that I know that many of you have not yet surrendered everything to Jesus. You're still in charge of your own life. You're still walking in the wickedness of the wicked culture that we're a part of. It is vile. It is unclean. And you're still walking right in the midst of it. You love the NASCAR. You love the, the Redskins. You love, you love the clubs. You love the alcohol. You love the wicked music. As one man said to me, Pastor... I love to go to the dance hall. I love the music. I love grinding with other women. With women, I love grinding. What? He's hellbound. And as I've presented the gospel to him, he said, well, someday, someday I might turn to Jesus. If he has that opportunity again, I warned him, and I said, No, please be aware. You don't just turn to Jesus any time you decide you might like to. You have to be called by the Spirit. This is not a game God is playing. 
You don't get to play Russian roulette with God. You don't get to decide, oh, I'll live like hell. And then when I decide, I'll get right with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The the chains of sin bind us and cling to us and make it impossible after rejecting so many times the call of the Spirit to even respond to the Holy Spirit. Remember Esau, with tears he sought the blessing and he was unable to gain the blessing even though he wept. This strong, tough man Esau could not gain the blessing because he had waited too long. So when we look carefully at the law of sin and death, the law can't set me free. This is not a self-improvement process. This is the supernatural work of God that must function in our lives. Salvation is a free gift that comes by the blood of Jesus, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural act of grace that God wants to extend to you today to turn from your sin and your rejection of him. Chapter 6 is is the woman at the well being told that no, you don't have a husband. You're living with a man you're not married to. In other words, it's if you want this water, this living water, you're going to have to leave your sin, lady. Why didn't Jesus just say to the woman at the well, look, I'm the Messiah, and I grant to you salvation. All you have to do is believe in me. Oh, I believe you're the Messiah. She later said, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. She believed that he was the Messiah. But believing that Jesus was the Messiah is not salvation. The devil believes that Jesus is the Messiah. But he won't confess his sin. He won't repent of his evil. And he can't be saved. So chapter 6 of Romans takes us into that preparation for the now that revival could happen in our lives. Now, some of you who are listening, you have repented of your sins and you have turned away from all wickedness. And you are hopefully... I pray, walking in victory before the Lord God of heaven and have total freedom in prayer. And the love of Jesus is gushing forth from your heart and you are praising and honoring and glorifying the name of Jesus. I know that's true of some of you by your testimony and by the way you've lived. I praise God for you. But for many of you, that's not the case. That's not how you're living. 
Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That new life can only come as we prepare for the now. And we prepare for the now by repenting of every known sin against Jesus and against anyone we have association with. It is making a clean break with our old life. It is turning off the wickedness. It is turning away from everything that does not glorify Jesus. It means you turn your back on this culture. You no longer are a cultural Christian. I ask people, is there anything between your heart and God? Do you have a pure heart before God? And they look at me like, did you come from Mars? And I say, do you know, are you still walking in sin? Yes, I'm working on it, Pastor. I'm doing my best. No, what I'm talking about is not a life of struggle. It's not a life of trying. It's not a life of of constantly going back to the same old, same old sin. That doesn't work. It doesn't bring you to the now of the new life in Jesus. You must die. You must be crucified with Christ. You must give up your life. What does that look like? Well, it looks like first identifying, writing down everything that you know that stands between you and Jesus, and then going to the Lord and going through those one at a time and asking Jesus to totally remove that from your life and from your heart. Now we have the now. It's a process. And now we do the same thing with everybody that we know. Have I in any way harmed anybody? Have I I hurt anybody? How do I make restitution? Have I stolen? Have I lied? Have I cheated? All of that has to be uncovered and confessed. It has to be given into the hand of Jesus. And as you confess that sin, that law will put you to death and it will say to you, see what an evil person you are. And your response must be, yes, I see what an evil person I've been. But I'm now turning to my Savior, to Jesus, And I've confessed all of that. And I now stand by faith that that's under the blood of Jesus. It is washed away. It is removed from me. And I now stand in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I stand in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What just happened? Revival. True revival. 
Now, I'm not in any manner taking away from that happening in a whole church. The cry of my heart is that that would happen in your church. I want that to happen for your pastor. A member walked into a a pastor's office. The door was slightly ajar. It was a Sunday after the service, and this person just was one of the leaders, pushed the door open, and there was the pastor. And the screen of his computer was directly in line with this person's eyes. And the screen was filled with pornography. The person was shocked, but quickly turned and walked away and then did what they should not have done. They began to tell people in the church about it without talking to the pastor. It caused a great deal of difficulty in that mega church. It was finally washed over by saying, look, we're all sinners. All we can do is the best we can do. The pastor confessed I was wrong. I won't do it again. No, he won't do it again until the next time. And next time he'll make sure his door's locked. Why do I say that? Because the only way to deal with that sin is crucifixion. The only way to deal with it is to die. To self. To give up my life for the life of Jesus Christ. I have to be given a new life. And what I'm trying to say to you today is that you can have a new life in Christ Jesus if you will meet the now and repent so that the now can take place in your life. The new life. The clean life where you utterly have given yourself over to Jesus and you no longer walk in the foolishness and the wickedness and the vileness of this culture and this world. I saw, as I was driving back from having lunch today, a car with a sticker on it with a local church. And then beside that sticker, there was a sticker with a curse word. I was shocked. Which should I believe, the curse or the church name? I won't name the church. It doesn't really matter. It's endemic across all the churches a casualness, a closedness, a lack of prayer, a lack of supplication, a lack of praise and worship from the heart of every believer. It's not a matter of having a band up front 
They can't do the praise and worship for you. You have to do it for yourself. As your heart gushes out the love and joy and peace you're experiencing in the joy of being forgiven and made right with God. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, do you notice the only way you can get into Christ Jesus is by baptism? That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking here about baptism of water. We're talking in the sixth chapter of Romans about the Holy Spirit baptism who regenerates us, who makes us new who teaches us about the Lord Jesus, who woos our heart and convicts us of our sin. The only way you can get into Christ Jesus is to be baptized into his death. Now I know, and this is why I couldn't sleep last night. I was so disrot for you for many of you who are listening to this broadcast because you've believed a cheap grace you've believed a cheap gospel that you can walk in Jesus in the midst of your sin that at Calvary past present and future sins were all forgiven no the provision was made for the forgiveness of your sins to forgive means to remove its aphemy in the greek it means to be removed to be lifted up off of to be taken away as long as you hold to the cheap grace and believe that you can be in jesus and be in sin You will not have that now moment where the mighty power of God comes and transforms you into a new creature. It will be the same old, same old. So if before you were baptized in water, you were fornicating, you'll go back and begin fornicating again because you're the same old, same old. Now you might cut back for a while. You might change things up a little bit. You might even improve yourself. Like President Eisenhower, when the Surgeon General told him that he needed to stop smoking for his health, he took his cigarette out of his pocket, his package, and he laid it on the table, and he said, Okay, Doc, I'm done smoking. And he walked away, and he never had another cigarette. He did it by the power of his flesh. We have the power and positive thinking to change our behaviors. Tony Robbins, Napoleon Hill, other writers have very clear humanistic teachings about how we can alter our behavior, diets and all manner of things that we can work strategies to change our behavior but we still are walking in the midst of our sin. So what are we going to do? Do you want revival? You can have revival. But you must take care of the now first. 
you can have the water of heaven to drink. But you must take care of the now first. The now is the issue. If we have been united with him like this in his death, certainly also we will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if you're still walking in rebellion against God, you have not yet died in the now of Scripture where there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus cannot belong to you. You are still utterly condemned before God as a sinner. The only possible way you can escape death for your sin is to repent and turn aside from it. That's what repent means. To allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no now outside of Jesus. You will be under condemnation. And this causes me great heartache. Because I see the church in America teaching cheap grace. Easy believism, as my pastor David Wilkerson would say. I see the church as a social organization. And when the world looks at the church, it wants to ask the question, how can you be useful to us in our culture? What are you doing about housing? What are you doing about the poor? What are you doing to contribute? We can't look at Christ that way. We can't look at Jesus and say, what can you do for me, Jesus? No. I must deal with my sin and I must be crucified with Christ. And now I no longer look at Christ like the world looks at him. What can you do for us today? What new miracle can you give us today? Can you give me food to eat? Can you give me my money for the car? Can you give me the money for the rent? Jesus, can you heal me? What can you do for... No! It's, I died with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. I give up my life for Jesus. Have you experienced that now? Have you experienced the now in Jesus? And is there no condemnation because you are no longer walking as the old man in the midst of your sin? Are you a new creature in Christ Jesus? Do you have a pure heart? The result of true revival is a pure heart before God. Not just an occasional pure heart. It's a continuous pure heart before Almighty God. A clean heart. I know you've probably not ever heard a preacher preach on a pure heart before. And some that I speak with about this issue look at me like I'm from Mars and say, 
Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't understand. No, because they love their sin. And they've never been told that they must hate their sin and leave it if there's to be no condemnation against them by the law. For any person who sins is under the law and is condemned by the law. The law was not done away with on Calvary. It was fulfilled by Jesus, and it will be fulfilled by every true believer. But if you walk in sin, that law is effective, and it will cause you to be executed on the day of the judgment and cast into that fiery furnace. What are you going to do? Now is the time. Almighty God, I lift up my brother, my sister. I ask, Lord, that you would break every lie, that you would uncover every false teaching, that you would heal my brother and my sister. And those who have clean hearts and pure hearts before you, would you strengthen them today? Would you encourage them today? And would you fill their hearts with joy? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Would you subscribe to our YouTube? And would you write to me and let me know that you're listening and you've made that choice and that decision, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go on the internet to nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for revival in your life.